As Pastor Matt was talking Wednesday night, the Scott and uh, Aaron Pomegratz were with us, missionaries to South Africa. I just want you to know that they are a part of our new missionary family. Uh, we picked them up to sponsor them, $100 a month, and that brings us up to supporting 66 missionaries now across this world. So thank you for your contributions to missions They actually came all the way from Indiana, drove in from Indiana to be with us for a service, and their passion for Christ and wanting to reach the lost was so evident that we wanted to partner with them. Thank you for your giving. Uh, Ruth Bennett, it's good to have you back there. God bless you. I I know that, I know, but you you can interpret for me. Ruth! She got it. And welcome to those who are joining us online. I know that uh, sometimes during the summer while you're away on your vacation, you can actually join us online. And there's a number of people who said, hey, I listened to your message last week. We, I wasn't here. We watched it online. And we're so glad that we were able to do this. And come on, what an incredible journey we've been on these last six weeks. As we today are going to conclude a message series that we've started entitled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? What is the greatest commandment? Six weeks ago, we started with that chapter in Luke chapter 10, where an expert of the Lord, law said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what's written in the law and what's the greatest command? And And the expert says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus went to explain Who is my neighbor? By telling a story about a good Samaritan. And this unlikely hero shows us that our vertical love for God, our vertical love for God is reflected and defined by our horizontal love for one another. How you treat How you love, how you care for one another defines and reflects your vertical love for God. One night this woman had a dream that she was having a conversation with God. And she was angry because of all the suffering And all the evil she saw around her. And she complained to the Lord. God, why don't you do something about this? And God gently replied, I did. I created you. Stand with me and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Or on your electronic devices, 
You can call up Matthew 25, starting with verse 31, or you can look on the screen for our text this morning. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His angels are with Him, He will sit on the throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will surround him, will gather before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and he will put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, you're the lucky ones. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of this world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty, give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then the king will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothing or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go into eternal punishment. Do any of you feel like switching sides? but the righteous to eternal life. You may be seated. Now, I just want to make something clear about this passage of Scripture before I get into my message. Because this passage of Scripture brings up something kind of interesting. We have the tendency to think that the God of the Old Testament was cranky, angry, judgmental, 
sort of like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he was always having a bad day. The God of the Old Testament. Then somehow between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's like, well, God gets saved. (laughs) And Jesus is this kind, always inclusive, happy God. But I have to tell you, in this passage, we, we see a little of the Old Testament God, don't we? And it's almost sometimes we think, well, we have a God of wrath, and then we have a God of love. But I'm here to tell you, we don't have two gods. We don't have a God who's changing his personality. Hebrews 10.5 says that Jesus Christ, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the Old Testament, you see his grace and his mercy. But in the New Testament, you also see his judgment. In fact, I have to say that Revelation is perhaps the bloodiest book in the whole Bible. Okay, let's get to the message here. Context, context, context. I always say that in order to understand Scripture, you have to understand the context of where it's written. And what's so vital is to understand Matthew 25. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares three stories. First, he shares the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. Ten were invited to a wedding. They bring their oil lamps, and five were wise because they brought extra oil. Five were foolish because they didn't bring extra oil. And as the bridegroom is delayed, and as time goes on, five foolish virgins, they run out of oil. So what do they have to do? They have to leave camp, go get oil. And while they've left, the bridegroom comes, and the five Foolish ones miss out on the party because they were not prepared. Secondly, he tells the story of the parable of the talents. This master's going away and he gives one of his servants five silver coins. He gives another servant three silver coins. And he gives another servant one silver coin. And while he's gone, he tells them to look after what they've been given. When the master returns, the one with five says, Master, you gave me five and I doubled it. Here's ten. The one he gave three, the Lord, the servant comes up and says, Master, you gave me three and I doubled it. Here's six. And the one he gave one to, the servant says, I know what a hard master you are. So I dug a hole and I buried it because I did not want to lose it. And he gives the one to his master. The master takes that one silver coin and gives it to the one who had five. And he says these words. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yup, there's that kind, happy Jesus. And then he tells the parable and the story of the sheep and the goats. And they'll be separated. 
according to whether they fed the hungry, gave a drink to the thirsty, welcomed a stranger, clothed those who were in need of clothing, look after the one who was sick, and visit the one who was in prison. Now, all three of these stories that Jesus tells points to the idea of what we do and what we don't do matters to God. All three of them point to that. First, I want to talk about commission and omission. Commission and omission. Have you ever been in a non-denominal church service and, and all different faiths are there and they say the Lord's Prayer and you get to that awkward part, forgive us our, and you hesitate because you don't know if they're going to say trespasses or debts and you have some saying trespasses and you have others debts and it's this awkward moment and I grew up as a kid, I went to a church that used trespasses, then I went to a church that used debts and I was always confused, you know, what is it, trespasses or debts because of my personality, I want to know what's right. But when you think about it, both are right. What are trespasses? Sins of commission. You're trespassing on somebody's property and you're ignoring the sign. No trespassing. You're committing doing something that is wrong. What is omission? Omission is not doing something right. How many know there are commands in the Bible? God tells us how to treat one another. And if you're not being kind to someone who's in need, it's a sin of omission. It's a debt. A debt is something you owe. And how many times do we go through life just ignoring a need before us and we'll say, God, forgive me for the things I've done wrong and we'll never ask God to forgive us for the things we did not do. Sins of commission, that which we have done, and things of omission, that's what we should have done, but we didn't. We normally address the sins of commission. God, forgive me, for I have sinned. This is what I have done. But in these three stories, Jesus is highlighting what wasn't done. The ones that didn't prepare by bringing more oil. And then you have those who didn't feed who didn't clothe, who didn't take care of. And you have the one servant who didn't take care of what the master gave to him, what he didn't do. And as I've said, so many times we're so concerned not to do the bad things that people are doing. We have our convictions. We don't do this and we don't do that. But never do we think about the sins of omission. How many of you know you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right? 
Think about that for a moment. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. A few weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I, somebody from the church posted this on Facebook. And I said, boy, this goes along with, you know, won't you be my neighbor? Robin Williams had a quote, the late Robin Williams. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. And of course, we know that he suffered from depression, and that depression obviously suffered so much where he took his own life. But it wasn't just from depression. Depression was just a side effect to a debilitating a brain disease that he had called DLB. And everybody quotes that as Robin Williams, but actually the quote came from, some people say Plato, but I actually believe that came from John Watson, a pastor in Scotland, who goes by the pen name of Ian McLaren. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind. May we not be guilty. May we not be guilty of not being kind. What sin of omission do you need to confess? What is it that you're not doing that the Lord tells you to do? Secondly, care for one another. Now I have to confess, for years and years and years, as I read this passage of Scripture, to me it just related to all the other scriptures like that of the Good Samaritan where we take care of everybody's needs. But when you take a close examination of the scripture, this is not telling you to take care of everybody's needs, but it's specifically pinpointing to the family of God. What does he do? He separates the sheep from the goat and those on his right, the ones he granted eternal life, the one that he has given inheritance to. When you were thirsty, you You gave someone something to drink. When they were hungry, you gave someone something to eat. When they were in need of clothes, you clothed them. When they were sick, you looked after them. You did for one of these, what? Brothers or sisters. He's talking to the church body. He's not talking about the world at large, even though we should do that. But he's specifically Zeroing in on the family of God. And you know, let me be honest. Sometimes it's easier to put a $10 bill or a $5 bill in that little cup of that homeless man you know nothing about 
instead of spending a couple hours listening to somebody you know's story who's in need. This all has to deal with the body, caring for one another. How do you care for your brothers and sisters in Christ? In fact, do you even know what they're going through? Jesus targets the church at large and not just this family. But how do we treat the Presbyterians? How do we treat the Methodists? How do we treat the Baptists? How do we treat the free evangelicals? How do we treat the body of Christ at large? Care for one another. Now I want to go back to the very beginning of Christ's ministry. Remember, Jesus was baptized, led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted. After that temptation, he comes back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Hello? As was his tradition. As was his habit. As was his everyday being. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Can I tell you something? Jesus would be found in the house of the Lord on the Sabbath. Here's the problem. Remember years ago? We used to call it the Sabbath. And then we called it Sunday. You know what we call it now? The weekend. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up. They handed him a scroll. It was the writings of Isaiah. And he unrolls it to the point where he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recover sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and he utters these words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Today, in your presence, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I think it's very interesting that when Jesus announced who he is and what he is here for, at the outset, at the very beginning of his ministry, 
he doesn't mention anything about changing beliefs. He doesn't mention about dying on the cross. He doesn't say anything about solving the sin problem. He says it's about seeing and listening and caring. Seeing, listening, and caring. Now, did he shake up the belief systems and usher in a new covenant? Yes. Did he die an extraordinary sacrificial death on the cross and experience an unprecedented resurrection? Absolutely. But at the very start of his ministry, he talks about ushering in a new kingdom. And that's why in Matthew chapter 25, the faithful are rewarded. The faithful are rewarded for fulfilling that commission. Establishing a new kingdom. I mean, are you, are you even educated on the Roman world? They didn't treat people kindly. There are cultures today that don't treat people kindly. But Jesus ushered in a kingdom where everyone is of worth, where everyone is of value. What did Jesus do? When the crowds were gathering around him, Jesus said, come unto me. Come. You who are weary. You who are burdened. Come. I'll give you rest. Peter in Acts chapter 10 talks about how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Luke says that Jesus taught his followers. Luke says that Jesus taught his followers, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus taught this. He lived it. He modeled it. He conducted his ministry this way because This is what God has always wanted his people to do. From the very beginning of creation, this is what God has always wanted his people to do. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 22, 9, the generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Psalms 41, 1 through 3. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. The Lord will bless him in the land and not surround him with the desires of his flow. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. From the very beginning, God wanted to establish his kingdom of love and respect for one another. All right, let me bring this to a close. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed a prayer for 
all of you before you were even born, before you even thought about, he prayed a prayer for us. Listen to this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. Jesus was referring, Jesus is praying to his father here. And he's referring, my prayer is not for them alone, not for the disciples, not for my followers. But I pray also for those who will believe. Those who will believe. In me through their message. And what was his prayer? That we all may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. May they also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Author and theologian Francis Schaeffer calls this the final final apologetic what is apologetics it's just a branch of theology that sets out to prove the historical fact of Jesus and the reliability of the Bible It's all about the proof of God's existence and that the Christian faith is worth worth living. Yet, Francis Schaeffer says this is the final, the final proof that God is real, that God is true, God is reliable. And what does Francis Schaeffer say it is? It's the observable unity. The observable unity. It's the tangible love. It's the actionable faith, faith in action. Francis Schaeffer says, the thing that proves the existence of God the most is the ability for churches to get along. Observable unity. Tangible love. And faith in action. You know, it's funny that we could be at a family event where half the family don't know Jesus and we're sitting there as a Christian and all we're doing is complaining about the church and complaining about this one and complaining about that one and the people around us are looking, I don't want to be a part of that. But when you're around a bunch of unbelievers and you're talking about the power of God and the power of the church and the unity of believers and how we're all different beings from different backgrounds and different styles and different personalities and the power of God comes and uniforms us and makes us one and there's tangible love and caring and faith in action and helping. That's what the world is longing for. Love one another. Your love for one another proves to the world 
that you are his disciple. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus asked the expert of the law, of these three men, which one was the neighbor? And the expert of the law says, the one who showed mercy. Which one was the neighbor of these three? The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Which one was the neighbor? Which one was the good neighbor? And the expert of the law says, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said these four words. Do you know them? Go, do, likewise. Is likewise one word or two words? Go, do, likewise. Three words. Jesus ended with these, go, do, likewise. Go do likewise. And as we go and show the mercy of God, the unity, the tangible love, faith in action, Francis Schaeffer says that's the greatest proof that the world needs to see that God is real. Won't you be my neighbor. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this incredible journey the last now seven Sundays. We have challenged us Lord to be a good neighbor to cross the street, to cross the aisle, to go to a different section, to read a name on a name tag, connect a name with a face, to see, to listen, to care. And Father, this week we close with It's so easy to focus on all the things we do wrong. The things we do that we shouldn't do. and We confess. But today we focus on three stories that were sins of omissions. Things they should have done, but they didn't do. Would you stand with me? Can we just stand and more many times we give an altar call and we open the altars that we could gather around and repent of the things that we've done that we shouldn't do but I was thinking when was the last time we gave an altar call for sins of omissions things we should do but we haven't been doing things like listening caring Showing mercy. Being kind. 
So as we close with a chorus, maybe you want to step out from where you're standing right now. When was the last time you asked God, forgive me for not doing the things I should be doing? Do you have the courage to come and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be more aware of the things I need to be doing in obedience to your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I come. Thank you, Lord. Come. Take my life. I offer it to you. A living sacrifice by your grace, by your grace, by your blood, by your blood. I come into the holy of holies. All I want to do is dwell in your presence.
that as Christians, through our actions, through our speech, through our behavior, through our unity, through our tangible love, through our faith in action, we show a lost and dying world Jesus. May we answer the call, won't you be my neighbor? God bless you.